0: Well, it's great to be here this morning, and um, yeah, last time I came, we we went for a coffee with Richard afterwards, and he's like, keen to get you back one more time. And I said, well, I don't know how long we're still here. I still don't know how long we're still here. (laughs) Uh, It's in the hands of the Australian authorities, and uh, they have my papers, they have my fingerprints, my biometrics, they have my blood sample, (laughs) they have the names of my firstborn. Uh, So we're just waiting for uh, them to say... G'day, welcome, and um, hopefully that happens soon, but in the meantime, it's still wonderful to be here, and um, especially here, because, you know, it's special, it's good. It's, it's been great this morning hearing different words coming, and you know when you're, uh, I mean, maybe you don't know, when you're preparing to talk somewhere where you aren't normally, it's always hard to know if you're getting it right because you've not been in the flow of what's going on. You don't know you know, what the people are feeling or going through in their lives. You don't know what's been preached the last few weeks. I could have gone on the internet and checked, but honestly, I didn't have the time. And so you kind of just go, God, what should I talk about? I chatted a bit to Mornay, and he said, oh, we've kind of been looking at worship a bit. Um, so I thought, well, that's something I know a little bit about. I can maybe uh, go in that direction. But as I was prayer, preparing, actually, I really felt um, to talk about being living sacrifices. And um, and the, the verse I was going to start with, uh, Romans 12, um, 1 to 3, and then also verse 16. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual And then it says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Now, we don't often read those verses strung together like that because they're about 15 verses apart. But I really feel like the latter verse plays into the former verse. And that when we're talking about being living sacrifices, particularly in the context of worship, but actually that whole thing of not thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought, really comes into play. And we'll we'll get onto that to begin with. But first, I'd just love to recap some of the things that God was saying during the worship, some of those words that came even from the prayer meeting, and some of the prophetic stuff, and the tongues, interpretation of tongues that came in the worship time. Because it's really good to know that what God says right from the prayer meeting, I wasn't even there yet. My son walked into our bedroom this morning and says, we are leaving in a quarter of an hour, yeah? And I was like, oh, yeah, I better get up. <laughs> so it was a speed <laughs> process because it's a long drive from the, uh, from the northern suburbs to over here. And, um, yeah, so we jumped in the car, and we made it through, and we're fine. But if my hair looks bad, that's why. Um, and um, so I wasn't here at the prayer meeting. We, we pulled in just as you guys had finished praying, I think. But I heard, because <laughs> I was told, that there was this sense of coming out of our comfort zones, and a little smile came on my face because I thought, that'll work. Um, <laughs> living sacrifices is definitely about coming out of your comfort zones, isn't it? I mean, like, who was ever a comfortable sacrifice? <laughs> You know, I mean, like you know, the whole thing. You can imagine Abraham and his son climbing that hill, and he's saying, "So what are we sacrificing?" And his dad goes, "Ah, uh, later. I'll tell you later." And um, that thought of being bound and placed on an altar, and having a knife raised above you, and there's a famous um, painting. I think it was Rembrandt did of the the knife about to come down, and the hand of the angel sort of saying, "Stop! <laughs> Check the thicket. There's a ram." And that sense of being a living sacrifice. Not a comfortable place to be. But then there was more that God spoke about. He talked about heavy burdens, that that backpack, not being able to run or maneuver because actually there's a weight that's being carried that actually God wants to rid us of. And the word that came later adding to that saying, no, if you sit with the Lord, If you wait on the Lord, if you spend time in his presence, he can unpack that. He can take off those burdens. He can lighten the load so that you can push through and move forward, which is amazing. Um, Then the word about being resurrected. Jesus was resurrected as the first fruits, but actually it's our resurrection that that whole thing was about. See, Jesus didn't need to be resurrected if he didn't die. And he only died because of us. So he died because of us, so then he's resurrected because of us as the first fruits. And we are the fruit that comes after. We're the resurrected ones. We're the ones who are brought into newness of life. And that's so important and so key. And again, if I'm going to be a living sacrifice, dying daily, I need to be resurrected daily so I can die again the next day. Yeah? If I'm going to die daily, I've got to be resurrected daily, otherwise I only die once. But actually, the the journey of Christian walking, of following Christ, the early church was called the followers of the way. And to be a follower on that way is to take up my cross, is to die daily, but also be resurrected daily. So the next day I die again, I'm resurrected again. There's this constant cycle of moving more and more towards Jesus and and closer and closer to his likeness. That more and more, we would earn the name, as they did in Antioch. Little Christians, little Christs. It was actually a derogatory term, a pejorative term, as they say these days. It, was, um, it wasn't a kind name when they called them Christians. It wasn't a kind name. It was their sort of <laughs> little Jesuses. It was, it was to look down on them. But now we wear it as a badge of honor. But are we truly little Jesuses? Now, when we say, I'm a Christian are we? Are we like him? Um, are we those who display him, who radiate him to the world? Um, and then that that tongue came about being warriors. And, um, you know, a soldier doesn't get to pick and choose. Soldier doesn't decide. I mean, I was born in the UK, so I was, you know, National Service had finished long, long before I was born. Here I think it lasted much later and so some gents my age have done national service in this country but um, I never had any experience of that. The closest I came to that was my brother joined the cadets for a year and a half. Uh, <laughs> mostly so they could shoot 2-2 rifles and go on a camping trip on the hill at the back of the town. Uh, so, I have no experience of being in the military, not going to pretend that I have um, but I do know this. When you become a soldier, you don't get to choose. And and as much as that word is a word that's encouraging because it, it speaks of us being powerful and strong, and it speaks of being united and having a purpose, it also reminds us of this truth, that we need to die to ourselves and be alive to him. And to be living sacrifices is all those things. And so when we look at, this idea of being a living sacrifice, one of the things it says, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, different translations have a slightly different take on this. The New American Standard Bible says, spiritual service of worship. New King James, which is a slightly less literal translation, says it's your reasonable service. This is just This is just what's reasonable. So, when you think about, the extremely crazy idea that is being a living sacrifice—it's I mean, just so out there. Like I'm—I'm I'm just like literally. It's like I'm bound. I'm on an altar. I'm alive, but I'm dead. I'm, um, you know, it's all these things. And and King James says that's just reasonable. It's like it's what's expected. It's just norm. Like this is that's so basic. Like, that's just basic. But the uh, the other translation, ESV, New American Standard, um, several of the other translations say it's your spiritual act of worship. And something I want to draw through here is really important for us as worshipers. and I was encouraged because most of what I'm going to talk about in terms of worship today has already happened this morning. There's been people leaping, there's been people lifting their voices, there's been people lifting their hands, there's been people clapping, you know, different things, even people kneeling. So... Everything I'm going to say has already happened this morning to some degree. But what I want to encourage is for all of us to embrace all that worship can be with this in mind, that this is me doing a spiritual act. Did you know if I raise my hand in worship, that's a spiritual act? Sure, it's a physical act. And you could say, Well, I'm surrendering on the inside. I don't need to raise my hands for someone to know that. But you try telling a gunman that. And someone bursts in here with an AK and says, Hands in the air. And you'll just go, Yeah, no, my hands are raised on the inside. See how that works out for you. You see, we all know deep in our hearts that what we do with our body really matters. If you say, hands up, and I go, yeah, yeah, my hands are raised on the inside. No, they're not. (laughs) Because if they were raised on the inside, they'd be raised on the outside. Because what we do on the inside reflects in what we do on the outside. There was this heresy that attacked the early church called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism was the idea that there was some kind of separation between our spirit and our body. And so when we separate our spirit and our body, we can say silly things like, I'm kneeling on the inside without kneeling on the outside. But did you know when you kneel, your knees touch the floor? That's how that works. Did you know that when you raise your hands... Your hands go above your shoulders. That's how that works. (laughs) You see, I can't say I'm doing these things on the inside if I'm not doing them on the outside. That would be Gnosticism. And the Bible teaches against that, and the church fathers refuted that, and they said, no, we can't separate the spirit and the body and say, I am doing spiritual things inside me while my body is doing something either contradictory or just neutral the the church said no when jesus rose he ate fish why is that important because jesus rose as a body We talked about Jesus as the first fruits, that resurrection that was spoken about during the worship. Jesus was the first fruits of the resurrection. When he was resurrected, what did he have? He had a material, physical body that he could say to Thomas, See, here's my scar. Put your hand in my hand. Put your hand in my side. When he was with them, he asked for fish. Now, I don't believe that in his resurrection body, Jesus needed a snack. I don't know if you've thought this through. I've thought this through. I do that. Sometimes I sit and I think about things that no one else cares about. It's kind of what I do. I don't think that in his resurrection body, with the eternal power of God coursing through his veins, I don't think he needed a snack. But I do think he wanted to show the disciples he wasn't a ghost. Because we all know what a ghost is. Has anyone here watched Pirates of the Caribbean? Yeah, yeah, and, and, and is it Captain Barbosa or whoever it is? He takes the he takes the wine and he drinks it and it all just runs out through his ribs. And why is that? Because he's a ghost. Ghosts can't drink. Ghosts can't eat. He's carrying that apple around for the whole movie. He never gets to eat it because he can't, because he's a ghost. Now, obviously that's not the Bible. It's not my main text for the morning. Uh... But I think we're all familiar with the concept of not being in our body, of, you know, a a spiritual being. But again, it's an idea we've got to knock on the head. And we can, because Jesus had a real body. You could have knocked him on the head. But the idea that somehow when we're free of these bodies, we'll just not have bodies, it's not there. It's not in the Bible. It says, actually, this which is corruptible is sown, but when we're raised, we're raised incorruptible. In other words, it's even better than what we have now, because what we have now fades and fails, and we get old, and we get sore, and we get tired. But then we'll have these bodies, we'll just be good to go and go and go for eternity. And if we eat at that point, it's just the marriage feast of the lamb. It's just for the fun of it. It's not for fuel, you know. And we just go and we go and we go. And we, we can praise the Lord forever with those bodies. But here we get called to be living sacrifices who would praise the Lord with what we have for now. So it's, it's really awesome to have that thing that we, we can know no, Jesus, he wasn't a ghost. He wasn't a spirit. And likewise, we at no point are working towards the place where we won't have bodies. We're stuck with bodies forever. And so we need to know that there is so much connection between our spirit and our body. There's so much connection that when we worship, what I do with my body is what I'm doing with my spirit. That's why we're told not to sin because what we do with our body is impacting on our spirit they're connected they're the same thing again the Gnostics would say some of them they were kind of into two parties so some said that everything matters and so you do nothing and you kind of live this life of solitude probably on a hill alone but then the others were like what I do with my body doesn't matter Because it's my spirit that's pure and healed. And actually, salvation is just to be freed from my body. It all sounds a bit new age or like Buddhist or something. And that was this heresy. And the church said, no. No, there's this eternal connection between having a spirit and having a body. That actually forever, we will be spirits with bodies. And so now, when we worship, when I worship, when I present my body as a living sacrifice, it's a spiritual sacrifice. Act. And that's what Romans 12.1 is saying. When I present my body as a living sacrifice, that is a spiritual act. It's not just what I think I'm doing on the inside that matters. It's what I'm actually doing on the outside that matters. Did I land everyone there? Do we, are we all in the same place now? So we see how there's this connection between what is on the inside of me and what is On the outside of me. When Thomas was given that opportunity to put his fingers into the wounds of Jesus' hands and Jesus' side, he didn't go, oh, that's a bit weird. He fell on his knees and said, my Lord and my God. He recognized that there was something so much beyond his mind here, so much beyond what he knew. And so he was like, man... This is God. And so for us, we, um, we worship. And, and on Sundays we come and we worship. And, and I know that there's a lifestyle of worship and presenting our bodies as living sacrifices isn't just about the moments in church when we sing. It's also about serving in the community, uh, particularly the household of faith, taking a meal to someone, loving someone, praying for the sick. Uh, it, it's all those things. But it is also when we come and sing. And sometimes we can give ourselves the, that get-out-of-jail-free card that I serve in other ways. So, well, yeah, but you also serve in this way. So as Jesus said regarding the, uh, the uh, Pharisees who had said, no, I don't do that, I do this. He said, no, you should have done that, and you should have done this. He said, it wasn't either or, it's both and. And when it comes to worship, the worship that happens in church, this singing worship... It's just as vital for us as any other kind of lifestyle worship that we do. So when I give to the poor, that is me giving to Jesus. When I spend time with the least, that's me spending time with Jesus. The Bible tells me that. But it also says that when I come lifting my uh, songs of praise, that is also me spending time with Jesus. And it's something he's asked me to do. And so I need to do it, just as much as he's asked me to give to the poor, just as much as he's asked me to spend time with the least, or to let the children come to him. I mean, who's a children here this morning? Are you a children? Yeah, there's one or two children, and then there's also some grown-up children. Um, So that's awesome. Um, If you identify as a children, you're doing well, because as such as these is given the kingdom of God. Um, But... um, so let's talk about worship. Then I'm going to just talk practically about some of the the, the mm, ways we can be living sacrifices. Anyone here ever clapped your hands in church? Um, I see some of you have raised your hands in church. Put up, keep, keep that hand up. Keep that hand up. Now put up your other hand if you've never raised your hands in church, <laughs> and now you have. So that's good. No, okay. So now. Who, who, who knows that the Bible tells us to clap our hands to the Lord, yeah? How many times does it tell us to do that? Does anyone know how many times it tells us to do that? Any rise on 30? 85? Any rise on 85? How many times does the Bible tell us to clap our hands? I'm going to let you in on a secret. Once, just once. There is only one verse in the whole of the Bible that tells us to clap our hands. But we're charismatic, so you just can't stop us. It's what we do. It's how we're raised. Um, happy clappies we got called back in the seventies and eighties. And there's a reason for that. It's because clapping is about the it's like the entry drug to worship. It's like it's the easiest thing to do, it's the safest thing to do. It's less weird than raising your hands. It's like so basic. Clapping your hands is how to get started but it's really not overly important let's just let's just admit that you can't build a theology on one bible verse okay so I can't even tell you that it's like there's a doctrine of hand clapping because you can't do that with one bible verse okay then maybe there's another one in Isaiah 53 or 55 or something where it says we'll go out with praise and the but then it's the trees of the fields are going to clap their hands I don't even know what that means because I never met a tree with hands so that's clearly allegorical. Okay. So we, we can't build a doctrine of clapping hands. But what I can say is the Bible tells us to do it once. Um, just once. It tells us to do it. And, um, and so we clap our hands. Let's just do that quickly. Don't get, don't get carried away. I said clap your hands. I didn't say clap your hands plural just once. Once more. Okay. Now clap your hands for every time the Bible tells you to clap your hands. Well done. Okay, so, now it's not that hard to clap your hands, is it? I mean, it's not that hard. In, in, on a degree of one to living sacrifice, so if one is not being a living sacrifice, and living sacrifice is being a living, where, where do we put clapping our hands? I'd say it's a two, wouldn't you say? I mean, like, did anyone feel completely humiliated and embarrassed by clapping their hands? No. No, I mean, sometimes you feel embarrassed not to clap your hands. It's like peer pressure. You know, like everyone else is clapping. And you just got to make sure you get the right beat. Otherwise, yeah, anyway. So, um, clapping our hands. Not that I'm writing it off. I'm not. I encourage you, clap your hands in worship. Why? Because it's something the Bible does say to do. But you haven't reached the pinnacle of worship if you clap your hands. That's all I'm saying. Is that okay that I say that out loud? Like, are we in agreement that clapping your hands is not everything God has called us to? Okay. So I'm just going to encourage us to go a little further, a little further, a little further than that. And this is something that did happen. We had an opportunity for this this morning, early, but it was early. So I, I understand why it didn't happen at that moment. But later it got louder. And this is shouting. Okay. So <laughs> shout to the Lord. Um they sang that at a meeting the other day, shout to the Lord. I turned to my wife, she was in tears, I was in tears. We had that at our wedding, it's like been a long time since we sang that song, but it's always a good one. But, uh, shout to the Lord. Um, now, there are so many places where the Bible says to do this. Like so, easily more than ten times, as many times as it tells you to clap your hands, it says shout to the Lord. Now, would you say that at least 10 times more than you've clapped your hands, you have shouted to the Lord? I don't know. I, if I was trying to do the math, I think I've clapped my hands way more than I've shouted. But the Bible has it the other way around, that we should shout far more often than we clap our hands. And if that is the standard which God has set for us, then that's something we need to get on board with. And remember, we can't just shout on the inside, because that would make us Gnostics and heretics. We need to shout on the outside. And that means using on the outside our outside voice. Did you, uh, did you ever get that? You know, when you were growing up, like, use your inside voice. Use your inside voice. And, and church was very much one of those things, wasn't it? Church is a place to use your inside voice. When you come into church, don't make too much noise. People are here to see God. I don't. Is God deaf? Like, is he startled by loud noises? I don't know. But there's, there's a, this sense, and it, particularly if you grew up in like a traditional church, uh, I'm not going to name any, but you know who you are. Um, if you grew up in a traditional church, then probably you're used to coming into church quietly. And people saying, shh, if you're noisy. If you, if you talk, like, shh, you probably heard shh almost as much as the Bible in those churches growing up, you know. And um, now the Bible actually gives us the opposite. It says shout. Who here has ever shouted in church? There's a few folks. But I can see we've got some newbies here. Okay. Now, I'm going to make this real easy on you. We're just going to do it all together. And you don't have to decide to do it. You just have to obey. (laughs) (laughs) Obey your elders as those who will stand before God and give an account for your lives. Okay, I want to know when I get there that at least all of you shouted once. Okay, so this is my chance to wash my hands of this situation and say they shouted. I know they did. I was there when it happened. Okay, so... (laughs) Uh, to make it real easy for you, we'll do it in incremental stages. There's this, um, <laughs> there's this five-letter word that you're probably familiar with. <laughs> Ash is laughing because I asked him to do this the other day and he totally bottled on it. He didn't do it. He was chicken. But I'm going to go for it now because I think this is just about, I think the crowd here, most of you, who was alive during the 80s, early 90s? Okay, so yeah, probably you'll get this. So when I say, give me a J, you shout, J. but that's not shouting. So let's try that again. Give me a J. J. Give me an e. e. Give me an S. S. Give me a U. U. Give me this. What do you got? Jesus. What do you got? Jesus. What do you got? Jesus. How hard was that? That wasn't too bad. Right, well done. Give yourself a round of applause. Okay. <laughs> okay, fantastic. So um, so now we've clapped our hands and we shouted unto God. Bible says in Psalm 98, I've got to use some of these verses because bless her, she took so long putting him in the computer. Psalm 98.4, uh, uh, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth, break forth into joyous song and sing praises. So make a joyful noise, that joyful noise there. Make a loud noise, and in other places, shout joyfully, shout joyfully, shout joyfully. Let them sing a song of joy. There's a couple of different words. There's ruah, rana, and rinana, uh, which is like three different ways that the Hebrew talks about shouting. But it's either shouting or a, making a ringing cry. A ringing cry. Okay, so that's also a shout. Um, but it might be more like when you drop something on your toe. That's a a ringing, ah like we shout to the Lord in that way. And so sometimes we shout to the Lord in joy. Sometimes we shout to the Lord in pain. Sometimes we shout to the Lord in victory. Sometimes we shout to the Lord asking for him to come and manifest his victory in our lives. But there's lots of different ways we shout to the Lord. The point is to do it because it's something we can do. And that's really important. And so it shouldn't be strange when people shout in church. It should be normal. Has ever, anyone ever been in one of those meetings where someone shouted and everyone went, ooh, that was awkward? <laughs> but who was being obedient in the moment? The weird oak who's shouting. That's the guy who was getting it right. And the rest of us who are going, ooh, that's awkward. We're the ones burdened. We're the ones burdened. We're the ones carrying a backpack that says things like, sensible it says things like proper it says things like polite that backpack it's got a bunch of rocks in it and all the words on that rock are are words that are going to stop us doing the things God has called us to shouting in church is a safe place to shout just like shouting at a stadium where there's rugby it's a safe place to shout as long as you're wearing the right jersey and you're in the right stands, you know? <laughs> but it is, it's, it, it should be that these things can be natural. So right at the beginning of the meeting... Um, Craig said, let's just all together, let's just give our, express our thanks. He said, our dams are full. He says, you know, our, 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 there's breath in our lungs. And he said a few other things that we could be grateful to the Lord for. And he gave us an opportunity. He said, let's just lift our voices to the Lord. And it was like, I'm not shaming anyone. I was there too. I could have shouted. I didn't shout. I wasn't going to break the mold. I wasn't going to be getting outside the status quo. Because it's easier when we do it together. So I'm going to give us that opportunity again. Okay, so let's stand, <laughs> and I'm going to just say what Craig said, which is, our dams are full, our lungs are full of air, we have an opportunity to thank the Lord. Now let's do it by raising our voices. Now, you've got to trust that the guy next to you is going to do this, otherwise you're the only person shouting. Okay, but remember, we're an army, we're, we're an army, we heard that, yeah? So when I say, yeah, it's like, sir, yes, sir, we all do it together. Okay, so when I say, let's thank the Lord, then let's all thank the Lord together loudly. Let's thank the Lord. Three, two, one. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for life. Okay, it wasn't bad. It was all right. Um, But I think it could be longer. Um, We did the whispery prayers much longer. So we could do the shouty prayers longer. I think that's okay, yeah? Is that okay? Let's just do that. So three, two, one. Let's praise. Thank you. All right, all right, calm down. Okay, so you can have a seat, you can have a seat. Now, how about this? Richard's away, yeah? (laughs) Now, Richard won't have heard this preach. (laughs) And when he comes back, he's going to give you a moment like Craig did this morning. Let's just thank the Lord. And, you know, if you blow his hair back like you did just now, that's going to be quite a cool moment. And he's going to be like, what happened? He's going to be like, Mornay? What did you do? <laughs> and I think that would be a great moment. So I, I, I won't be here, but you have that opportunity. You've all heard this. I've told you all together, you need to make a pact with each other. That when we're given the opportunity, we will lift our voices because he's worthy of praise. Amen? He is worthy of praise. Okay. So so far we've not really rocked the boat, but now whew, here is the test. Whew. William uh, Murray, who I worked with for a while, some of you remember him, he used to say, I don't want to get too into hip-hop, because then I'll need a Uh, (laughs) hip-hop. And when it comes to the matter of dancing, I know some of us are conscientious objectors, and I totally appreciate that, I understand. Um, Because this is one of the ones we definitely want to do on the inside rather than on the outside, hey? Um, I was raised listening to Tony Hancock and the Goon Show and stuff. And Tony Hancock had this line where it was, um, uh, someone says, oh, we should go out dancing. He says, no, dancing's sinful. They said, no, dancing's not sinful. He says, no, it is the way I do it. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) and, And the truth is, should we dance? Does the Bible ask us to dance? There's a few different words for dance. I'm not going to try and say them because they're Hebrew and my pronunciation is shocking. But there was at least three that I found. Um, and w- the one means to dance, like whatever that means. And then the other was to leap, um, which was great. And um, the picture is of a calf released from a stool. Now, for those who have grown up on a farm, you'll know that a calf is a lively creature and a stool is a small space. And so what you do is you open the door on the small space and the calf literally comes out vertically. Like doink, doink, doink. And he's got four legs, but he's not walking, he's not running, he's doinking. He's doink, 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 doink. And it prances and it pirouettes and it spins and, it, and it's just the most amazing thing. Go on YouTube, find calf release from stool, you'll see it. It's amazing. And this is the kind of dancing that David was doing when the, when the Ark of the Lord is returned to Jerusalem. When it comes back to Jerusalem, the Ark of the Lord, and David was dancing before the Lord, it says in 2 Samuel 6, 14. But when you hear about it in 1 Chronicles 15, he uses the other word, which is the leaping, springing, pirouetting kind of thing. So, so that's very cool. Um, to skip about and, here's a cool word, frolic. Does anyone know what frolic means? (laughs) To skip about and frolic. Fantastic word. So um, when it says in Ecclesiastes 3, 4, there's a time to mourn and a time to dance, that's using that word. So there's a time to mourn, and there is. And I mean, like in our congregation, I think in the last year and a bit, Five folk passed away, um, and you kind of go, that's that's heavy. That, you know, to be surrounded by that and people who are going through mourning, people who are going through grief. So there is a time that it's appropriate to be somber. There's a time it's appropriate to come along some side, come alongside someone who's in grief, and it says we weep with those who weep. So that's uh, that's very appropriate. It, it wouldn't be appropriate to go up to them and say, hey, buck it up, let's go and frolic. Like, no, that's. So insensitive. So we don't do that. You know, when someone is in a place of mourning, we mourn with them. We mourn with those who weep. We weep with those who weep. We don't mourn as those who have no hope because we know that if that person has died in the Lord, we'll be with them in eternity. But we do understand the grief of loss. That's something we must understand as believers. We must come alongside those in that space. But as Ecclesiastes said, there's a time for that. There's also a time to skip about and frolic. Okay, that's, that's the meaning of it. Skip about and frolic. So, <laughs> Vanessa asked me the other day, can you skip? I was like, of course I can skip. She said, well, show me. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> uh, apparently, it's a genetic condition that some people actually physically can't skip and some people forget how to skip. Does anyone here forget how to skip? Okay, let me give you a basic instruction here. Okay, so skipping is when you don't walk. So you do that foot, then you do that foot. That's walking. But if you do that foot twice, and that foot twice, and that foot twice, now you're skipping. So it's like walking, but you use both feet twice. Does that make sense? St- stand up. See if you can give it a go. So, so so, basically, it's two on the left and two on the right. Two on the left, two on the right. So it's left, right, left, right, left, right, left, <laughs> Right, left, right, left, right, left. Two on the left, two on the right, two on the left, two on the right. That's not too bad, you're doing great, you're doing great. (laughs) Absolute chaos, fantastic. (laughs) Okay, clap your hands for every time the Bible tells you to do it. Okay, so that's... Frolicking okay. has anyone ever frolicked in church before you maybe you didn't know you had but now you have okay so so that's that's skipping and dancing like a calf a calf is a simple creature okay it doesn't question its dignity when it is released from that story he doesn't think, hmm, what would be a decorous way to exit this stable of mine where I have been in habitation this last season? No, he goes, Woo! and he's out of there. And we need to have a woohoo attitude towards worship. And it was great, like I said, I, I, in some ways, I'm preaching to the choir. We've seen these things happen this morning, even in worship. There was people like, wasn't well, so much skipping, more like pogoing, but it'll pass, it's okay. A pogo is good too. Um, but here's the thing, <laughs> to dance, that we dance, that's obedience. How we dance, well, that's culture. So, so maybe you were raised on certain music, and so for you, dance is associated with that music you were raised on. And so your understanding of dance is not what these young folks do at the front I'm just speaking to a different generation for a moment. I'll be back with you kids just now. So maybe when I say dance, you don't think. (laughs) Because that's not something you ever did. That's okay. That's culture. So when I say dance, you might think, but this is pretty lively. (laughs) And, And that's okay. Because maybe for you it is. And so there's no judgment. That we dance is obedience. How we dance is culture. I'm not here to preach culture. I'm here to preach obedience. Obedience. So when the Bible says, dance before the Lord, you dance before the Lord. It says that David danced with all his might. Well, you see, that's that's interesting because some of us have variable might. You know what I'm saying? Like... (laughs) You know what your capacity is. And I don't want to put you in hospital. Okay, so... But what you need to determine is, have I been faithful with that that I've been given? See, if I was given just 30 kilojoules of energy this morning, have I used them? If I was given 300 kilojoules of energy this morning, did I use them? If I was given 3,000 kilojoules of energy this morning... Did I use them? Did I dance with all my might? Did I worship the Lord with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength? I may not have much strength. No judgment. Okay. Just did I use it to worship the Lord? That we dance, that we move our bodies is obedience. How we do that might be cultural, might be something that we're used to because of how we've been raised or a dance. You know, I don't see many people doing the Charleston at the front of church. I can't even remember how it goes, but it's kind of like that sort of, <laughs> kick your heels up and wave your hands around like jazz hands. I don't see many, but the Charleston is a legitimate dance. It exists in dance history. I don't see many people doing the jitterbug, but it's a legitimate dance that exists in the history of music. And I was, we were in Sunningdale the one time, and... Um, I can't remember if it was me or Mike was preaching on worship, but I was involved somehow in the whole thing. It might be Mike was preaching and I was playing. We ended up with guys like sockeying across the front of the church and husbands and wives like doing their thing. Like, and it was just so surreal because there's not something you're used to seeing in church. Now, when we think of dancing in church, it's really boring actually. It's mostly just jumping up and down. It's like... Even aerobics classes are more interesting than the dancing we do. So I'm not saying that what we see, jumping up and down, is the pinnacle of dance. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, use your body. Move yourself. Be moved by God. Remember, what we do on the outside is a reflection of what is happening on the inside. If on the inside we're sitting down, we will be sitting down. If on the inside we're dancing, our bodies will be moving according to our capacity and our strength. So it's not a condemnation. If you need to remain seated for whatever reason, you can still move. You know? And if it got to the point where you physically couldn't even move, you could blink happy or something. There would be a way that you could praise the Lord in some way. I had the privilege at one point um, of... Um, hearing a man called Richard Wormbrandt speak, who was um, a pastor from the former Soviet kind of controlled Eastern Europe. And um, he had been imprisoned for preaching the gospel many times. And one of the times they were in jail, and um, a group of pastors, they were all in prison together. He, they'd led some other people to the Lord. And they wanted to have communion. And there was one prisoner who literally, he was immobile. He didn't have the use of his arms or of his legs. And he wanted to participate in the communion service. And so he said, can I be the altar? Now they're in prison. They don't have any stuff. They've kept scraps of bread and water from their meal times so they could do communion with scraps of bread and water. And this guy says, let me be the altar so you don't have to put it on the floor. You can put it on me. And he lay and... If that's where you are, be the altar. Be a living sacrifice. Be something that pleases God. Allow the Spirit of God to use your physical body because whenever he does, it's a spiritual act. What you do with your body reflects what's happening on the inside. Don't allow yourself to fall into the trap of thinking there's more happening inside than there is outside. There isn't. If you're feeling it, do it. If you feel like rejoicing, rejoice. If you feel like worshipping, worship. If you feel like raising your hands, don't let it just happen on the inside. Let it happen on the outside. Because this is how we need to live. And it's not just that we rejoice at good things. So Luke six twenty two twenty three, 23 Jesus is talking. And he's talking about dancing now. And leaping for joy. And he says, Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy. For behold, your rewards are great in heaven, for so their fathers did, so the prophets. Now, how amazing is this? Jesus is telling us that it is appropriate to leap for joy. And it's not because we won the lotto. <laughs> and it's not because our kid got into that great school that we are really hoping they'd find. And it's not because we got a promotion at work or a pay increase. It's because our names have been reviled. We've been spurned and rejected and thrown out of the, the fellowship of the community. And he says... That's when we leap and dance and skip for joy because that makes us like Jesus. They've done no worse to us than they did to him. And it makes us, okay, we've done it. We're like him. We're like him. We've been counted, Paul says, counted um, worthy of the sufferings of Christ. What an amazing attitude to have towards suffering that we would count ourselves as having been deemed worthy to share in the sufferings of Christ. Wow! And so that's a moment to rejoice. So sometimes the trigger points for these rejoicings are not just that everything is going well. Sometimes that everything material is falling apart, and yet we rejoice. I remember we were initiated into a certain uh, group of South Africans um, uh, many years ago now, about 2010, uh, Vanessa woke up the one morning, came into the kitchen. She could feel a breeze on her face, but both the windows were closed. And then she realized there was dirt on the surface. She's like, what Adam been doing? Because I'd gone out early that morning um, to walk with a friend. And, and then she realized there was no window where the window should be. And yes, some people had come in and there was an involuntary distribution of wealth that had occurred on our premises and that—that um, that was my brand new laptop that I'd gotten the day before it was gone, as was some other computing equipment, some musical equipment. Um, and I remember, you know, the detective had come and gone, the police had come and gone, um, and we kind of stood there going, "Well, what now?" Well, they hadn't stolen the piano because that's a little hard to get out through a kitchen window. And Vanessa says, "It wasn't my idea. I'm not that holy." But Vanessa said, um, "Let's praise the Lord." And we sat down and we praised the Lord. We sang worship. And I was reminded of, you know, Paul and Silas in jail. It can't get much worse than this. Let's just praise the Lord. And honestly, whatever the circumstance of your life, it's never a bad moment to praise the Lord. Look what happened to Paul and Silas. Yeah, they were in jail. They praised the Lord. They got out. There was probably hundreds of other Christian believers who were in jail and praised the Lord and still got thrown to the lions. I'm not saying it's a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's not. But it is the right response. Jesus said, when everything's going south, praise the Lord. When everything's going right, praise the Lord. You know? And, um, and for us, our response needs to be that we praise the Lord. In the garden, Jesus prayed, not my will, but yours be done. That's Luke 22:42. And um, it's one of those things where we have to kind of go. um, You know, some people go, Oh, I'd rather die than dance in church. That's actually what it is doing when you're dancing in church. It is dying. Well, for some people, dancing is natural and enjoyable. For some people, it's really a sacrifice. But let us be living sacrifices, let us be those who offer ourselves on the altar of worship. To our God, because yeah, it is dying. Jesus is literally saying, "I don't want to die, but if it's what you need, I'll do it. Let not, you know, let this pass. But if not, then let it be." And and so, Jesus, that was his ultimate act of sacrifice, was that he said, "Not my will, but your will." Be done. And as we've seen from the scriptures this morning, there are these things that we're called to do, like to shout, like to dance. And I mean, obviously, there's a ton of other things that you could look at in the scriptures and see that we might do in worship. But actually, to be Christ like, to take up our cross and follow after Him, is to be saying, Not my will, but yours be done. And so, in worship, when we come in, it is so easy to do what is natural and comfortable, and familiar. But actually what we're called to is to be living sacrifices. That whether we have 30 kilojoules of energy, 300 kilojoules of energy, 3,000 kilojoules of energy, that we would use it all for Jesus, and we would lay it at his feet. The Bible talks about worshipping at his feet. Footstool. That's Psalm 99. I'm skipping around a bit here. Psalm 99, uh, verse five. It says, "Exalt the Lord our God. Worship at His footstool." How do you think you do that? Now, admittedly, His footstool is probably very big because the Bible says His earth is His footstool. So, pretty much any time we worship, we're worshiping at His footstool. Because if the earth is His footstool, then we're good. We're golden. But Imagine the picture if it was scaled down to human size, human scale. And what we're talking about is there's an image here being drawn of someone coming into the presence of a king. Now the king is on a throne and, the, and we know from the prophet that the throne is high and lifted up. So there's probably a staircase or some kind of podium situation and the, and the, the throne will be on the top of the podium situation and then before the throne there will be a footstool. Because the throne is elevated and so even a large king, his feet are going to swing on that throne. And we don't want him looking like a, a kindergarten kid. So they put a footstool there so his feet have something to rest on. And then we come to worship this king. We come and where, how are we going to be positioned if we want to be worshipping at his footstool? We're not going to be standing like this, are we? We're, we're going to be kneeling. And this, this is the picture, and now you can't see me because I was short already and now kneel down, but I'll stand up. Um, this is the picture of coming to worship at his footstool. Is It's to do with humility. See, we can't come to worship God as equals because we're really not his equal on any level. And I know we wouldn't ever dream of thinking we were, but sometimes our actions display that maybe we think... We are. Because if I come into the presence of someone great, I'm not going to be like, hey, how's it, king? Um, <laughs> like that's way over-familiar. It's like way, whoa, that's a problem. It, he's going to have bodyguards, and they're going to be like swords in my throat before I know it. I'm not even getting get close to him. There's this sense of honor. And some cultures have it, more prevalent in the culture than others, but this idea of bowing that we see in the East, um, you know, this sort of bowing, or the sort of formal bows and curtsies that you see in the West, um, all of these is to show honor. And when it talks about worshipping at his footstool, it's to do with bowing and kneeling. And, and this is amazing, that we get to do this before the King of Kings and the Lord of lords because he's the one who rules he's the one who reigns he's the one who is over all things psalm 95 which just before in the verses there 95 verse 6 says um come let us worship and bow down let us kneel before the lord our maker and that's such a key thing he's the lord our maker We didn't invent God. He invented us. There's, there's a order to us coming before him. He is our maker. So when we come to him, he's the one who knows all the secrets. He's the one who knows everything that's happening inside. He's the one who has seen it all and been through it all and, and been there for it all. Philippians 2.10 says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so today, every knee should bow, every tongue confess but there's something that happens with this, is that we actually need to be confessing him Lord. And maybe you're here this morning and you've never confessed that Jesus is your Lord. You know, maybe you've seen us going through all this talking about worshipping God, and maybe that's something you've never done because actually to you he isn't God. He, you've never allowed him to become your Lord. And I, I want to create an opportunity in just a moment where you could respond to the Lord. And allow him to be your Lord and your God. Like Thomas, when he saw Jesus resurrected and he was allowed to put his hand in his side and touch those wounds on his hands, that he said, my Lord and my God. And in that moment, he, he knew that he was God. And I pray this morning that if you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and as your God, that today you would take this opportunity and you'd do that. But I also want to provide an opportunity for us all to respond And I can see the guys whispering, whispering, trying to work out what song to do at the end. Um, I'm sure it's going to be a cracker. Um, uh, But we're all going to have the opportunity to worship God. And I'd encourage us to leap. I'd encourage us to bow. I'd encourage us to kneel. I'd encourage us to shout. I'd encourage us to do the thing that makes us the least comfortable. Okay. Because that's... Living sacrifices. That's how we respond to the Lord. That's how we come before him. But we turned from him and we lived life our own way. And he calls to us. He says, come back to me. Turn your life back to me. Follow me. Follow the plan that I have for your life. Follow the plan that I have for you and the way I want you to live. The Bible talks about repenting of our sin. That's turning away from the way we've lived selfishly and for ourselves, and turn towards God.